Listen to the word of God. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect help in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. As they were speaking to the people, 
the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So reads the word of God. I don't know about you, but I think I'd be just fine experiencing some times of refreshing. What do you think? Are you with me in that? Do I have to convince anybody that that would be a blessing? It would be just fine with me to go through some times of refreshing. It seems to me that if the Bible talks about such times as as Peter does right here in this text, they would have to be marked by that shalom that we talked about last Sunday from the greeting that Jesus gave to the eleven and to all the rest and that we read about here from the Gospel of John just a few minutes ago. After all, this, this Greek word for refreshment that happens here, for refreshing, can mean rest or relief or respite, a bit of break, or refreshment. It's a wonderful word. As you're reading past it, it's hard to miss it. And it does play a rather prominent role in what Peter is talking about here. So could you do with a bit of refreshing? I think so. I think so. At this stage of this year, at this stage of life in this body of believers, which as we have acknowledged is being touched by so many unusual health needs, a time of refreshing would be very welcome. And according to Peter here, it comes by responding rightly to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, to His words and to His works. It comes by responding rightly to the name of Jesus. And that's what we want to spend a little time unpacking today. We want to walk through this text of Scripture to understand it a bit. But we also want to make special note of what it is that He's actually telling us to do in this text. What He is telling the people of Israel to do and what He's telling us through them. So just a little bit of context for this passage of Scripture. This section of chapter 3 into chapter 4 progresses similarly to chapter 2, to the place where the Holy Spirit is poured out. It's a similar outline. There was a miracle first in the first 13 verses of chapter 2, the giving of the Spirit, and now here in chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, the miracle of the healing, the lame man. Second, there's a sermon explaining that miracle that includes an appeal for repentance. And the sermon in each of these two sections is the centerpiece that tells you what to do with what you just saw, how to respond to it. And then third, there's a description of life in the immediate aftermath, concluding with a, a growth report. 5,000 people now in this early church in Jerusalem at the end of the events that conclude here at chapter 4, verse 4. And really, this section doesn't end here. It continues on 
at least through verse 22, and John is going to preach on verses 5 through 22 next Sunday. So he's really going to complete this story. But this is a good breaking point because we get that growth report, which is sort of a punctuation mark for Luke and his writing uh, of Acts, but also it's the one that helps us see the, the parallel progression of thought in chapter 2 and then chapters 3 into 4. Well, we took chapter 2 in three parts in order to give due consideration to each of them and to give time to understanding the giving of the Spirit to the church, even though we acknowledge that it really was one longer narrative unit, it was one story. Well, here in chapters 3 into 4, we're going to take it as one piece in order to see how important it is for it all to hang together. So let's just get started into these three parts here, and you can see them listed in your bulletin. That's the outline we'll follow. First of all, Peter and John display the power of Jesus' name. That's verses 1 through 10 of chapter 3. That's the miracle. And then Peter proclaims the power of Jesus' name. There's the sermon, verses 11 to 26. And when we go through that, we're going to divide that one in half as well. You can see a paragraph break in your Bibles. We'll give those a heading so that we understand what Peter is doing there. And then third, the varied responses to Peter's proclamation, which really draw on this whole text, but are concentrated in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 4. So let's take it in those three parts and see what we learn from this text. Keeping our eye on that word refreshing. Well, the miracle in this progression is both familiar to us and beautiful. Anybody who has read the Scriptures or even perhaps knows a Christian probably knows something about this story. I'm not sure why it sticks out among all of the miracles that were done, both by Jesus and by His disciples, but for some reason it does. It's a very familiar miracle. And what Peter does here really reminds us of what Jesus did with the daughter of Jairus. It's recorded in Luke chapter 8. Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue and his daughter was sick and while Jesus was about some other business, she died. And so his helper said, don't bother him, let him go. She's dead now. And Jesus had a different idea. He said, she's not dead, she's sleeping. But when he went to that little girl, Luke records there that he took her by the hand and said, child, arise. And her spirit returned and she got up once. Very similar description to what Peter does here. You almost think that Peter had that image in his mind as he addresses this lame man at the beautiful gate of the temple. But you know what? It reminds us of more than just that too, doesn't it? Is there any other passage that's, a, a, that's awakened in your mind as you hear this miracle? How about the text of Isaiah 35? It reminds us of Isaiah's words there. It echoes his words as he's talking there in chapter 35 about a day of salvation. And when that day arrives, Isaiah wrote, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer. And he continues on. That's precisely what we're seeing here. A lame man being healed and leaping like a deer. It was the ninth hour. It was 3 o'clock p.m. The time of the afternoon sacrifice during which 
The people gathered to pray while the sacrifice was being offered. In verse 2, a man, lame from birth, was being carried. Don't let that go past you too quickly. We learn later in chapter 4, more than 40 years old, lame from birth, being carried around by friends. Talk about dependence on those around you. A man lame from birth being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, probably one of the eastern gates, to ask alms of those entering the temple. I'm going to pause again, think about this. I wonder how many times Jesus must have passed by this guy. Saving his healing for this particular day. We can tend to think that Jesus just healed everybody in his midst, but uh, even that was being done according to the plan and purpose of God. This guy's in the temple area. I wonder how many times he'd seen Jesus walk past. This man was known to sit in this location asking for money. The people recognized him. They knew who he was. As we see the passage progress, we can see that. We understand that. And he wasn't young. This was an established pattern in his life. And it was an established pattern in the lives of whoever it was and however many it took to carry him to this place at the temple daily. Verse 3, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And from what we read here, he probably asked, or quite possibly asked, without even looking up. Because verse 4 says, and Peter directed his gaze at him, an intentional look, and as did John. This wasn't going to be a quick, impersonal exchange. Good model for gospel encounters, by the way. Don't let them be quick, impersonal exchanges. Stop. Fix eyes. Talk. So Peter and John riveted their eyes on him and then said to him, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold what do you think happened in that guy's heart just as that sentence opened? You stop me, you look at me, you make me look at you to tell me you have nothing to give me. <laughs> that doesn't work well on the street, by the way. But he did. I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. This is Peter saying, I share with you the power of God. That's what he's just about to do. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Think of what we know about Nazareth. Is there a point of identification with this man in need? Your Savior is from a despised and, and depressed community. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And He did. In fact... Verse 8, he entered the temple with them, walking 
and leaping and praising God, this man was happy to be liberated from his prison. Verse 9, and all the people saw him. Verse 10, they recognized him. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The disciples were continuing to work the works of Jesus. The disciples were continuing to heal in his name just as he had done. Enabled by the Holy Spirit whom we just heard about but We've had two weeks off, so we've got to remember where we're coming from out of chapter 2. Enabled by the Holy Spirit who has now descended upon them and empowered them to take the gospel to Jerusalem and all Judea and to the ends of the earth. They're doing the works of Jesus in these early days. And this is a glorious miracle. It was a blessing to this man. And it's a picture for us of the ultimate salvation of the Lord, isn't it? The day of His appearing with all that will be restored and set right on that day. Peter makes reference to that, recorded here in verse 21, to that day when things will be fully restored. It makes us think of that day. It draws our attention to that day. It draws our attention to the blessing of the salvation that comes through the powerful name of Jesus. It's a glorious miracle. But a quick word of warning before we move on through this text. Beware of preaching that stops with this account and makes it the point of the passage. Beware of that. Beware of preaching that suggests that this is what we need more than anything else in the church. The wonders and signs that were being done through the apostles that Luke recorded at the end of the last chapter brought awe to every soul. Chapter 2, verse 43. Here, verse 10, brought wonder and amazement to this crowd. Beware of preaching that makes that the point. Because this isn't the response to Jesus that Luke wants to put before us. This isn't the response to Jesus that Peter was preaching about that day. It isn't the response to Jesus that brings on the times of refreshing that are referred to in verse 20. So Peter continues on then to instruct the crowd and us through them regarding the right response, the right response to what they just saw, to what we read here. And his instruction here, as I mentioned, comes in two parts. In verses 11 through 16, we're going to title this, Peter connects this miracle to the name and power of Jesus. Peter connects this miracle to the name and power of Jesus. And then in verses 17 through 26, Peter calls for repentance from the Jews who opposed Jesus. Peter calls for repentance from the Jews who opposed Jesus. So let's move through this section. Let's move through this sermon and see what we're supposed to learn about how to respond rightly to what we have just heard and seen. Peter connects this miracle to the name and power of Jesus. There in verse 12, we really read, Surely you don't think that we performed this miracle on our own. 
Folks, you're amazed. You rush together here in Solomon's portico to hear about this. Surely you don't think that we perform this miracle on our own. And he's addressing here the people of Israel. So he's preaching primarily to the Jews in the temple area in this passage. And he affirmed two important truths to them in these verses, 11 through 16. I'm going to do them in reverse order. First, it's faith in Jesus' name that has made this man strong. That's what Peter wants this crowd to understand. It's faith in Jesus' name that has made this man strong. The faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all, he says here, verse 16. Peter doesn't make it clear here whether this man's faith or his own faith are in view here. And we have to add that it could also be the faith of those who carried him to this place in the temple area daily that might be in view here because back in Luke chapter 5 when that man who was being carried by friends was lowered down through the roof, what did Jesus say to him? He said as he saw their faith, as he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. So was it the man's faith? Was it Peter's faith? Was it the faith of those who minister to this guy? We don't know in this passage. By the way, James also suggests that it's the prayer of faith, the one who's doing the praying, that's honored with healing, more so than even the one who needs the prayer. So there's other places where we see, wow, where's the faith located that God chooses to honor? And the point is, the focus here, and really the focus in all of those places, is on the object of faith, not on the one who's exercising it. It's not about my faith or yours. It's not about the strength of our faith. It's about where our faith is fixed. If we understand Ephesians 2, that even that faith is a gift of God by His grace, then we're always fixed on the object. And here, it is explicitly so. This Jesus that Peter is preaching, this Jesus in whose name he has just performed this miracle, this Jesus is the direct agent of God, and that's the point he's making with the Jews here. This Jesus is a direct agent of God. He's God's servant, verse 13. In fact, he is God because he's called the Holy and Righteous One in verse 14. He's the representative of the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He's, he's the representative of your God, Israel. The God of what we would call the Old Testament. But you delivered him over and denied him in the presence of Pilate. And you asked for a murderer to be released instead and then killed the author of life. <laughs> the pioneer of life, the giver of life. But God raised him up from the dead. It's verses 13 and 14. Clear implication here, and we could take much time on this text. The clear implication here, bottom line, and we'll move on, 
If you're working against Jesus, you're working against God. If you're working against Jesus, you're working against the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Bible, the God of all creation. If you're working against Jesus, you're working against the God of the living. To think back to Luke chapter 20 and that identification of Jesus when he's saying that this God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the insinuation is that they are alive. How great is a God of dead people? He's the God of the living. If you're working against Jesus, you're working against this God. So the power of Jesus is the power of God. And this miracle was done by the power of Jesus. You oppose this, you're not in a good place. Those are the two things that Peter wanted them to know in the first half of this sermon. So how was Israel supposed to respond to the power of Jesus here? Peter calls for repentance from the Jews who opposed Jesus. How is Israel supposed to respond to the power of Jesus here? Was it with awe? Chapter 2, verse 43. Was it with wonder and amazement? Chapter 10 here in verse, or verse 10 here in chapter 3. Is that how we respond? Awe and wonder and amazement? Well, it does happen, but no, that's not the response. Anyone who sees this display has no faith at all is going to stand in awe of what they just saw. A man lame from birth, rising up and walking and leaping and praising God. Anybody's going to stand in awe of that. The awe and the wonder and the amazement are not the point. Feeling the awe doesn't reconcile people to God. Feeling awe doesn't bring the refreshment that Peter's preaching about here. Jesus didn't just come to amaze people. Although so many are satisfied with mere amazement. We think if we're amazed at Jesus, we trust Him. It's not how it works. Peter tells us right here how to respond. And he said to these people, In effect, yes, you acted in ignorance. Yes, you acted in ignorance of who Jesus really is. And so did your teachers. So did your rulers, verse 17. But that doesn't impede God's purpose, folks. Your ignorance can't frustrate or forestall God's plan. You didn't impede it by your ignorance. He just works through it. He works around it. He works in spite of it to accomplish His will anyway. That's the God we serve. You're denying who He is and not walking in line with Him. That's not going to frustrate Him. It's not going to stop Him. It's not going to throw Him off stride. You just end up losing out on the blessing, the joy of having participated in His plan. But you're certainly not going to forestall it. And awe and amazement at it is not going to change the course or the quality of your life. The thing that needed to happen here, the thing that needed to happen was to find a solution to their problem of opposing the person and the work of Jesus. That's what needs to happen. That's the proper response. They see this miracle happen. They're amazed at it. But what do they do next? 
in order to engage in this amazing thing that's going on. The thing they need to do is find a solution to their problem of continually opposing the person and work of Jesus. And Peter provided that right here. He provided that solution. It's our key verse today. In fact, it's the thing Israel most ought to hear and to heed in this text. It's the key ingredient that God's people in every age need more than they need signs and wonders. In fact, it's the thing that wonders and signs were, were given to encourage. They're there so that we can be helped along in taking the steps that need to be taken. And that's given in verse 19. Repent, therefore, Peter said. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. What a glorious thought that is. Repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. We need a solution for sin. We need a solution for all that makes any of us oppose Jesus. We need a solution that's provided by someone who has proven that his solution will work. We need a solution from someone who's proven, for instance, that he has conquered sin. And that he's conquered the curse of sin, which is death. We need a solution from someone who has proven that he can address all of the different manifestations of sinful brokenness that accumulate in this world. Painful manifestations of that sinfulness and brokenness. Like, for instance, a man being lame from birth and living more than 40 years. We need evidence that we're working with someone who can actually reverse the course that this world is on. Peter preaches, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out but the blessings don't cease there. Grand as that expression is. Little time though we've given it. Verse 20, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that He may send the Christ, Messiah, the Deliverer who's appointed for you, namely Jesus. And as he continues on here in this next section of verses making reference to the Old Testament and to prophets, we can say that yes, Jesus ascended back to heaven until the appointed day of His return. We see there in verse 21, the day Israel had been looking for ever since God started speaking through prophets like like Moses, verse 22, and Samuel and the rest, verse 24. But they also needed to listen to the prophets. Verse 22. They needed to obey them. Verse 23. They needed to respond to God as God. They needed to respond to God's messenger with the same repentance and faith that Peter is preaching here on this day. But that's not what they've been doing in the history of Israel. 
So Peter reminds them. He reminds them of who they are. Folks, remember who you are. He's saying, verse 25, you are the sons of the prophets. You're related to these guys. You're the sons of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Peter is saying to these folks on this day, God is for you. Look at your history. His blessing has been yours from the start. His plan is unfolding through your forefathers all the way up to this present day. And Jesus, Jesus is the promised prophet, the one Moses spoke about. He's the one through whom the blessing of God comes. Hear Him, respond rightly to Him. This is your heritage, Israel. God promised it to you through Abraham. And then through Abraham to all the nations. But the blessing is experienced not just by being born into Abraham's line. That's not enough. It's an argument Paul makes on several occasions. Romans, Galatians, and other places. The blessing does not come from being born into Abraham's physical line alone or even by having a front row seat to see the wonders and signs done by Jesus or, or done by His disciples now here in His name. That's not where the blessing comes from. The blessing comes when Israel and also then the nations recognize, as Paul did in Galatians chapter 3, that Jesus is the offspring of Abraham through whom all the families of the earth will be blessed. He's the seed of Abraham that will be the blessing for all nations. And the way that we're called to affirm that is not by checking a birth certificate. It's by checking how we've responded to Jesus and to the proclamation of His truth, of the power of His name. The way we're called to affirm this is by turning from our wickedness. The repetition of repentance right here as Peter finishes, or as Luke finishes his record of Peter's sermon in verse 26, by turning from our wickedness in repentance and faith. The times of refreshing we long for come as we repent. Do you hear that? The times of refreshing that we long for come as we walk in repentance and faith in faithful relationship with God and therefore with His people. That's what refreshes us. We're not talking here about the full deliverance when all things are restored that that Luke records here in verse 21 from Peter's sermon. We're talking about a taste of that final restoration through miracles of deliverance like this one here that, that preview the new creation where all things will be restored. So it is a grand and glorious miracle, but it's a a picture of a coming reality. It's not something on which we attach our faith here and now. It's something that says, yes, 
This story is true. Yes, the resurrection of Jesus is real. Yes, it is our inheritance as we are reconciled to God in Him. And here's a picture of what it's going to look like when that is finally poured out. When all expressions of sin and suffering, of disease and death will be healed, will be eradicated from human experience once and for all, by the power of the name of the crucified and risen Jesus. That's what Peter's preaching. That's what we need to hear. All who oppose Jesus as God's promised salvation must repent and be reconciled to God by faith in the name of Jesus. This is the heart of Peter's message in this passage And when we hear it, times of refreshing come. But there was a varied response to Peter's proclamation. Then in his day, just as now in ours. And that moves us into the final section here. The varied responses to Peter's proclamation. And they were varied. I'm going to mention three here quickly. We mentioned earlier how we We need to beware of preaching that stops with this miracle account and makes it the point of this passage as though wonders and signs and bringing awe and amazement is what we need more of in the church in order to be refreshed. As though this is what brings times of refreshing, but but surely the miracle isn't the point of the narrative. It just sets the stage for Peter's sermon, which makes the point. But this is one of the varied responses, and we have to draw it out. It is one of the varied responses we see here, even though Luke doesn't spotlight it in this text. Earlier in his gospel account, though, he did. He talked about people who kept seeking a sign from Jesus. Luke chapter 11, a sign from heaven. But Jesus said to them, no sign will be given to them except the sign of Jonah. And that sign of Jonah who preached in Nineveh, and they repented. There it is. People who just want miracles are missing the point, even of the miracles themselves. Repentance is the aim, not awe and wonder. That's one varied response to Peter's preaching. It's to miss that point, to still be drawn to the supernatural manifestation as though that in itself is the response we should have. A second response to Peter's proclamation that Luke does mention explicitly here is that of the religious leaders. And this is what takes us into chapter 4, these first four verses. Verse 1 there, as they were speaking to the people, that is, Peter and John speaking to the people, the priests and the captains of the temple, that's the, the head of the temple police, right? It's the second in charge to the high priest. The priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. We'll meet the Sadducees several more times in Acts. In short, they believed that there was no resurrection. So they didn't believe in the resurrection. They did believe, however, that the the Messianic movement began during the Maccabean period, some century or so prior. So they weren't really looking for a Messiah. And... Thirdly, they were more politically oriented than the Pharisees were, interested in maintaining good relations with Rome. 
So on several fronts, this group was no friend to the growing church. Verse 3, they arrested Peter and John and put them in custody until the next day. This is where persecution of the church began in the book of Acts, by the way. And it develops into a rather prominent theme in this history from Luke. But here, the primary thing we notice in this paragraph is that one of the varied responses to Peter's preaching was to be greatly annoyed by it. That was their response there in verse 2. One of the varied responses to Peter's preaching was to be greatly annoyed by it, disturbed by the inconvenience and the disruptive influence it might have. It's not as though priests and Sadducees, though, didn't want to experience times of refreshing. That's not what they were opposed to. They just had a different idea of what would bring about those times of refreshing. And it left them in a place of being at odds with what they had just seen and with what Peter was preaching. They had a different idea of how God was at work in their day. And that involved being a bit more attentive to political matters. A bit more attentive to the governing relationship that they had there in Rome. And a bit less attentive to expressions and facets of their faith, especially supernatural ones. So this miracle was disruptive from their perspective. And teaching on the resurrection there in the streets of Jerusalem or there on the temple grounds was just going to make it seem like they were some sort of a fringe religious sect. And it was going to be working against their relationship with Rome. This kind of crazy talk had to be put to a stop if they were ever going to be taken seriously by Rome. They were annoyed by it and needed to put a stop to it. Sadducees are still around today, don't you think? Who really do believe that times of refreshing are going to come from something other than repentance and faith. Perhaps some sort of governmental engagement or activism. Some sort of distancing from the supernatural expressions of Christianity. You know what? Let's not talk miracles and healing much as we preach Jesus. People don't know how to understand that. And we want him to seem like a normal guy who really loved us and gave his life for us. And you know what? He really was a normal guy who loved us and gave his life for us. But that's not the whole picture. That's not the eternal Son of God in the flesh. That's not the one in whom... Deity is undiminished even while humanity is entirely present. There's still some around today who take this route to times of refreshing. Finally, Luke reports that many who had heard Peter's proclamation believed. Many who heard Peter's proclamation believed. That's verse 4 of chapter 4. They received his teaching and responded with repentance. They turned back that their sins may be blotted out. They heard the heart of the matter and responded in the way that was needful. 
the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That's how it happened back then, and my friends, that's still how it happens today. Do you want a taste of times of refreshing? From the Lord? Walk in repentance with your faith fixed on the powerful name of Jesus, the Holy and Righteous One. Walk in fellowship with His people, enjoying, being amazed at the work of God, but recognizing that all of that drives us to a place of repentance and faith and fellowship with those who are walking with Jesus similarly. That's a blessing of this body. We began this morning by celebrating it a bit together. We want to hear the teaching of Peter in Acts chapter 3. That's what we need to hear. And if we're inclined to think that times of refreshing are going to come from something else, Let's be corrected by the Word of God. And if you will, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You this day for this text of Scripture in which we see again an amazing display of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and of the faith of the disciples to go forth into the city, fearful as they were, just short days before, and out in the streets proclaiming the name because they have received power from on high and are now preaching that power in the streets. Well, Father, help us to experience that power, but help us not to get fixated on supernatural manifestations but just on the enabling, the strengthening, the refreshing that comes to us through a walk of repentance and faith where our sins are cleansed, our fellowship established. Our fellowship with you and with one another. Oh, Father, help us to walk in the powerful name of Jesus by your grace and for your glory. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.